Okay? Welcome, everyone, the class again. It's been a while since we were here, but thanks for uh, joining us tonight, either live or by live stream. This is the Gospel of John. I'm Bill Combs, and we'll continue on our study. Uh, tonight, I thought what we would do is sort of review. I kind of debated what to do, but I thought it's been a long time, and so I thought we would review how far we've come so we can get into the narrative and know exactly where we are in Jesus' life and so forth. So we'll try to do that, mainly with the help of a number of slides, and, uh, and I've given you the outline here, and then we'll pick it up as we did next week. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll begin. <clears throat> Father, thank you this evening for the opportunity we have as fellow believers in Christ to come together and study your word. Thank you for giving us the Word of God and, and, pass, and having it available to us in our own language and having uh, so much uh, literature that helps us and being in a good church where we're taught and we hear the Word of God regularly uh, administered to us and we have the fellowship of other believers, those who will pray for us and help us and so we're thankful for <clears throat> where we're at and the opportunities we have going forward. Ask your blessing on our study tonight, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So um, this is a, a, a chart here that we looked at before of the timeline of Jesus' life on earth, born around 5 or 6 B.C., died around 30. There's some debate about these exact dates. You'll see some people talk around 33, so there's all kinds of technical discussions exactly when Jesus died. I'm using the 30 date. Uh, I prefer that, but it, you know we don't know exactly for sure. But this gives us an approximation of you know when his ministry was these last three and a half years and so forth. Um, this is the uh, timeline of Jesus' ministry. So this is the three and a half years. Remember, uh, we said last semester that <clears throat> we don't know exactly how long Jesus' ministry was here, public ministry was. If you read the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it seems like it was short. It wasn't as long as it is in John's gospel. In John's gospel, it's at least two and a half years and maybe three and a half years, depending upon what we said about chapter 5 and one of the festivals. We, it mar it's marked off in the Gospel of John by Passover, 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 Passover. So this is uh, suggesting uh, that we have these Passovers, and this gives us an indication of Jesus' ministry. Um, here's the location of uh, Jesus' ministry recorded in the Gospel of John, the various geographical places he was at in the Gospel of John. Uh, notice the, the Galilee there in chapter 6 and 7 around that area. Um, there's not much there. Now the synoptics, that's mostly, the, the synoptics, that's what they spend almost all their time on is Galilee. Galilee, except for the final Passion Week, you know. But John spends a lot more time on Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem, including the Passion Week. He goes into great detail about this that the Synoptic Gospels don't. don't. And that 
that may be on purpose. We don't know for sure. Remember, I'll say in a moment that it's, it's, it seems likely that John was aware of what the other gospel writers had written. There's indication, hints in the gospel of John that he was aware of certain things, what they had written. So he may have deliberately decided to focus on uh, areas of Jesus' ministry, his life, the timeline when uh, the other gospels didn't cover as much as he is doing in his gospel. Um, now, of course, he is, you know, as we said, he's the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's very intimate. He has a close, really closer relationship than some other people would have had, even Matthew or certainly Mark or Luke, you know, uh, would have had. Um, so this is uh, the geographical area we talked about uh, that Jesus, we find Jesus in. He's in Judea, uh, which is Jerusalem. We know in Samaria, he's there. You remember in John chapter 4 when he, with the Samaritan woman we'll talk about. And in Galilee, uh, around the uh, sea of Galilee, the sea of Tiberias. So uh, let me just review some basic facts. You know, who wrote this gospel? We, I, I say, we, I'm at raising that question, remember, because it doesn't tell us who wrote it. <clears throat> Not like Paul's epistles, Paul's 13 epistles. I'll start with Paul, <laughs> you, know, he, you know, so Paul and Apostle. So we know who wrote those. And so often the, the author is named, but here in the gospels, either Matthew, Mark, Luke or John are actually named. The author's not actually indicated. So we don't know for sure. Now the unanimous testimony of the church, the early church, is that the writer was the apostle John, uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, there's never been anybody who said it was somebody else than that. And remember I said there were some clues because uh, we, it's very clear the author was an eyewitness. Uh, he talks at one point, you know, we have seen his glory. The word became flesh and dwelt, and we have seen. He talks about seeing. Uh, he, he's, he's present at the crucifixion. This writer is present at the crucifixion. And he's the disciple whom Jesus loved in John 21. And we kind of went through that and said, okay, now, who are these disciples there at the Last Supper and so forth. You can kind of eliminate it. We, we, we looked at some verses and you can sort of eliminate all the other. It's not Peter. You know, it's, it's, it's most likely John. And that's been the, the testimony of the church. Uh, we said that this gospel was written um, later than the other gospels. Uh, probably around the year 85 is often given later. John wrote a gospel then he wrote epistles, letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then he wrote the book of Revelation. We think it's in that order. He wrote the gospel first, then he wrote those letters maybe, and then he wrote the book of Revelation, certainly last. So a date around 85, uh, this is after the destruction of Jerusalem, AD 70. So um, most everything else, everything else has been written by the time John gets around to writing. All the other writers of the New Testament have written their books, probably, uh, certainly by the time John writes. So he's the last writer, and he's writing the last three books here. Uh, you know, the first book of the New Testament, we don't know exactly what that was. It's often thought maybe James, uh, and that could have been in the early 50s, and 
then a gospel may have come along, Matthew or Mark, in the early 50s and so forth. So this is uh, later on, uh, after this destruction of Jerusalem, AD 70 and so forth. Where did John write this gospel from? Remember we said from Ephesus, which is, you know, as today as we look at that map, that would be Turkey uh, on the west coast there. Uh, but in the province of Asia or Asia Minor, Asia, the Roman province, the Romans, this, Romans had control of all this area, and so they had it divided up into provinces. And we're talking about the province of Asia, Ephesus at the capital, and of course we know Paul was there and started the, the church at Ephesus and things like that. So we think that John, and we, we, all, we know this only by the writers, the early ch church fathers, they talk about this, they write about John, who later in life uh, went to... Um, uh, Ephesus and ministered there and so forth. So we think that is probably true. Uh, he wrote from the city of Ephesus. We know that John wrote his epistle, remember, as had a kind of an evangelistic purpose. We looked at that verse in John 20. Uh, These things are written that you might know that Jesus is the Christ or Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and believing you might have life in his name. All right, let's look then um, at the prologue here. So John, the first section of John is that what's often called the prologue. Prologue just means, well, in Latin that would be before the log, before the word. So it's the introduction. Prologue is just a fancy word for the introduction. John has an introduction to his gospel. He starts off, remember, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And uh, this reminds us, remember we said, of the opening words of Genesis, in the beginning God created. So it's kind of purposely uh, taking us back to Genesis. And it tells us there that in this, in this prologue is, is, a, is, a, is a sort of, it's an introduction, it's sort of a hallway, a vestibule that takes you down to the gospel. And it presents various truths. It, it says that in the beginning with the Word, the Word was with God and the Word was God. The Word is deity. He starts off with the Word, remember, and then in John 1.14 he tells us who this Word is. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we know that's Jesus, that's the Messiah. So it says that in the prologue he's God he was intimately involved in creation. Through him, all things were made. So he's really the creator. He's the person of the Godhead who personally did the creating. So all three persons are involved. And then uh, he entered into human life. He came to his own. His own did not receive him, but as many as received him, you know, he gave the right to become. So he entered into human life became a human being, took upon humanity so that he could bring eternal life to everyone who receives him. Um, and so the rest of the gospel is just unfolding that, unfolding these truths about Jesus. So John starts here. Um, remember we had that uh, common little diagram of the Trinity trying to, trying to explain the unexplainable, but... <laughs> It's a way to try to grasp uh, the Trinitarian relationship. Uh, three persons in one divine essence is how 
it's commonly understood. So we come to the uh, public ministry of Jesus. <clears throat> and uh, the first section we call Early Belief in Judea and Jerusalem. Um, so John begins by discussing the ministry of John the Baptist first, talks, us, talks, us, talks about that. Now he doesn't, he, he, he kind of comes in later on in the ministry of John. In the, in the synoptics we find Jesus coming to John and being baptized. Well, we don't, that's already passed when we get to John. He's, he's, he, John is looking back and, and thinking about what happened uh, when he baptized Jesus. So, um, so he's going uh, to discuss the, the ministry of John. And John is, is, is testifying to the Messiah. He's come. His purpose is, is to lay the groundwork, uh, introduce and identify who the Messiah is. And remember, John says <clears throat> there that the way I knew who the Messiah was, was the Spirit would come and land on him. John had a revelation from God that, hey, <laughs> the guy who, who you baptize and the Spirit comes down upon him, that's the Messiah. Now remember we said John was related to Jesus, you know, uh, because Elizabeth is related to Mary. The exact relationship is not known, but they obviously, we know they, they knew each other. What their relationship, we don't know, but apparently John was not well, well acquainted with Jesus or didn't know Jesus enough to recognize him automatically. And, uh, and, and you know, apparently Jesus did nothing in his childhood to identify himself. Uh, John didn't know it. People didn't. Now, he went to the temple. That was pretty amazing, you know, that one episode. But he generally didn't identify himself. This is what's going to happen now. He's going to perform these various seven signs in the gospel, and that will explain and identify who he is. So uh, what this first section uh, uh, discusses is in 119 through 25 is this early belief <clears throat> and the experience of people who come to faith and so forth. So it starts off with the testimony of John the Baptist, and he testifies, first of all, to the officials in Jerusalem. Jewish leaders come out and ask John, what are you doing? What's going on here? Uh, who are you? And John says, well, I'm not the Messiah. Uh, I'm not Elijah. And they say, are you, a, a, some, are you the prophet? the one that Moses talked about in Deuteronomy 18. Of course, we know that Deuteronomy 18 is really talking about the Messiah, but they didn't necessarily connect that. They just, John, Moses talked about a prophet who will come. And so they say, who are you? Are you, are you are to, the, to this? And he said, uh, no, I'm not. And so John, uh, the, the thing about, it's interesting about the Gospel of John is that in the synoptics, as you read those, you get the impression that Jesus is baptized by John, and John is, is in prison. He's taken into prison, and that's it. So you have John's ministry, and that ends, and then you got Jesus' ministry. Well, that's not really what happened from John. We know that John kept on. After he baptized Jesus, he continued on to minister and to preach and so forth. 
for some time. I don't, we don't know exactly how long before he was put into prison and actually killed. So uh, in chapter 1 there, in the latter part of chapter 1, the crowds, G, uh, John sees Jesus passing and he says, hey, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He's, he's, I didn't know who he was, but God said, you, when you, the guy you see the Spirit coming on, that's the Messiah. So he's there to identify the Messiah, to lay the groundwork for the Messiah, and so forth. And then in the latter part of chapter 1, we pick up two disciples, um, who, uh, who, um, two disciples of John, who, uh, who, see, who John points out and says, this is the Messiah, and so forth. And um, so these two disciples leave John, you remember, and follow Jesus. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and these two disciples uh, are Andrew, uh, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the disciples who heard uh, John say, you know, identify Jesus and who followed Jesus. And he immediately goes to Simon and says, hey, brother, we found the Messiah. We found the Christ. We found the Messiah. Remember, the word Christos is the Greek equivalent of Christ, of the Hebrew Messiah. So there's really the same concept. Hebrew Messiah means in, uh, anointed one, or, uh, and Messiah, so, and, and Christ is sort of the same one, Christos. So um, Andrew comes to Jesus Peter comes to Jesus and Jesus says, I'm going to give you a new name. Uh, uh, you, you're going to be called Cephas, which is translated, you know, his name is Simon. Andrew finds his brother Simon. We call him Simon Peter, but that Peter was the name given by Jesus. In Aramaic, it's Cephas. Remember, they spoke Aramaic uh, language, mainly, probably mainly. And in Greek, it's Petros or Peter. So, so Andrew comes, uh, Peter comes, and so forth. Um, so um, Jesus begins to gather these disciples around him. Uh, this is where John, John is baptizing on the other side of Jordan there, somewhere probably in that area. And that's where Jesus... Uh, I say rounds up these first disciples or calls these first disciples to him in this particular area where John is uh, baptizing. Now, there's some skepticism among some of the early disciples. Uh, remember Philip? Uh, um, Philip uh, goes to Nathaniel and says, We have found the Messiah. And uh, He's, it's Jesus of Nazareth. People were often identified by where they lived, where they were you know, located from, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of, <laughs> out of, out of Nazareth? You know? uh, so the idea is that's up here, that's you know, on the map, that's up in Galilee, and you don't expect... Galilee is, is Jewish to a good degree, but it's also Gentile. And so the main area you would think a Jewish leader would come out of would be around Jerusalem, Judea. That's where you expect one to come from, not from up there in the Galilee. That doesn't seem right. Uh, but Nathaniel comes, 
And Jesus says, you know, I saw you while you were under the fig tree, you know, and he, he, he amazes Nathaniel, and he, Nathaniel comes out with this declaration, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. So we had this unfolding of who Jesus is, this identification in this first chapter of John. Um, then we come to the marriage at Cana. Um, this is um, uh, uh, the wedding at Cana, remember. So Jesus and um, is Jesus, his mother, uh, was there at the wedding. And you remember the situation. Uh, they had run out of wine, and Jesus turns the water into wine, as we know. And this is called this first miracle. So Jesus, the gospel is built around a series of miracles, and these are designed to uh, show who Jesus is. Miracles, one of the purpose of miracles is to authenticate a person, to identify who they are, that they are from God, and so forth. I mean, how are people supposed to know exactly? Uh, you know, in one way is this, these miracles, his teaching, but also these miracles that he is able to do. And uh, John says there in chapter 2 that this was the first sign that Jesus did and it revealed who he was, it revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So there's this increasing belief here. Uh, then... Um, we come to the cleansing of the temple, chapter 2, verses 12 through 22. It says that, um, it says first of all that um, after this, uh, I should put, put this up here, messed up here. Um, did I have that marked? Yeah, I guess I did, forgot to. So, um, so we have uh, Galilee here, and uh, we have Cana, as you can see, over to the left, and uh, around the Galilee there. Nazareth is south of that where Jesus comes from. So Jesus was at the wedding in Cana. So he's operating out of Galilee, still at home. And then we're told in chapter 2 that, that uh, Jesus' family apparently moves to Capernaum. So there's Capernaum, as you can see on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus uh, and his mother and his family apparently went to uh, Capernaum and made that their base, made that their base for their operations. His disciples are there, and that's where he has his ministry around Galilee at Capernaum. Um, so... This was, um, it says in chapter 2, verse 12, we have the first in a time reference here. It says um, that, um, that when uh, Jesus is going to cleanse the temple, this is after the wedding at Cana, it says uh, it's almost time for Passover. So this would be the Passover of A.D. 27. This would be, uh, you see, it's, you have a, a circle and an arrow around that S there. I've got the spring. Every spring has got a circle around it because the Passover was in, in spring, right? Uh, like our Easter, 
it's March-April time frame, so Passover roughly corresponds to our Easter now. And so we have in the Gospel of John these references to uh, these Passovers. And so here's the first reference uh, that they went to Capernaum, they moved to Capernaum, and then it's time for Passover. Why? What's that got to do with anything? Well, because the law said, the Old Testament law says that Jewish males have to go, are supposed to go to Jerusalem three times a year. Uh, you're supposed to go there for the three feasts, the Passover, uh, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. You're supposed to go there to the temple and present yourself. And uh, so they're going to go down. That's what people did. They went, went there for Passover. And... Uh, so this would be uh, AD 27, the spring of AD 27, and this is our first uh, temporal indication. So Jesus actually has begun his ministry a little bit before then because we've seen, you know, he's in Cana and so forth, and he's with John the Baptist and so forth. Now, this is the cleansing of the temple. Here's one diagram of the temple. This is the Temple Mount. And that era on the right there is uh, the area around the temple proper is uh, the courts or the temple courts or the courts of the Gentiles. And so you can see on this uh, diagram, uh, this balustrade here, this little wall that goes around. So Gentiles could be out here, but only Jews could come across that balustrade. And there was a sign there in Greek and Aramaic um, and Latin that said, if you go across this barricade, I can't remember the exact words, but it's something like you're taking your life in your own hands. So uh, remember, that's what gets Paul into trouble <clears throat> later on in Acts chapter 21. He comes back to Jerusalem and the Jews accuse him of bringing a Gentile across there. And that's what causes the riot. In the, in, the temple, in the temple area, and Apostle Paul gets arrested and ultimately uh, taken to Caesarea. So the, that area around there is the temple courts. So this is a very large uh, 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 area here, quite large here, that Herod the Great had expanded and built. So you could get large crowds in there, tremendously large number of people. And uh, remember in the temple courts, uh, there were people there, money changers, who, who would exchange your money because you had to use the local currency. Uh, you could also buy animals there to sacrifice. I mean, it makes some sense. You, you, uh, you come from Galilee. You don't necessarily want to bring your lamb with you. I mean, it's, you wreck your lamb all the way. It'd be easier just to purchase one, maybe. It'd be easier. Oh, you, that, used, that, that used to be set up, according to what we know, on the Mount of Olives or outside the Temple Mount. But gradually, these people crept in to the temple itself. And so Jesus is upset, you know, with this merchandising going on, you know, uh, in the temple co courts. And so he makes this, uh, uh, he makes, he drives these people out from the, uh, from the temple courts. So that's this model that we show you a number of times in Jerusalem, trying to show the same thing, the court of the Gentiles, uh, where all these people would gather and so forth. And uh, 
So uh, he drives them out and he said, you know, you're turning my father's house into a marketplace, you know, and this is wrong. And the Jews are upset, you know, why? Well, who gives you the authority to do this? How can you do this? And uh, what's your authority? And he says, well, if you destroy this temple, I will build it up in three days. And they think, this temple? You're going to build this temple in three days? You know, what are you talking about? And uh, they say it's been 46 years to build this temple. What are you, what are you, what are you talking about? You know, you, you know you're, what's, what's going on? Of course, they didn't understand. He was talking about his body. That's going to be the great sign. That's going to be the great demonstration that he is who he says he is. He's going to raise, be raised from the dead. He's going to rise from the dead himself. So that's going to be the thing that's really going to identify, boy, this is who he, he is who he says he was. But they don't uh, get that at this particular point. And remember, Jesus is not, he, he is not uh, revealing everything about himself at this point. The more he reveals about who he is, uh, you know, he's, they're going to kill him right there. You know? <laughs> they're going to put him to death. Jesus has a ministry he wants to conduct. He's revealing a little bit about himself. But it's later on when we get chapter 10, 11, and then we start seeing he's revealing more and more. He's, the, the triumphal entry, he takes a donkey and goes in like the, you know, like the Messiah on that donkey. And, you know, he's really saying, hey, I'm here. This is the king has arrived, you know. But not at first. Um, and, and what John is showing here is kind of the increase of faith. People are starting to believe. But one of the themes through John that we see quite often is that there is uh, people who believe in Jesus but are not what we would say are really saved. It's inadequate faith. Uh, they they're, they're believe in the miracles. Jesus is doing the miracles. That helps belief. Believing because of miracles is better than no belief at all, but... Uh, it's not necessarily regenerating faith. People can just be entranced by the miracles, as we see today. You know, people come to crusades and and they love these miracles. And naturally, who doesn't? They want a miracle. They want, you know, if you're picked, if you're ill or sick, you know, you're looking for that. And so people are attracted to that kind of thing. But it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody who is attracted to that is real a real follower. Has really been born again. Is really saved you know, and that, as we would say. And uh, it says there at the end of chapter 2, right at the end, remember, it says that uh, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. The NIV says, but Jesus did not entrust himself to them. And remember I said it's the same word, believe. Jesus didn't believe in them. He didn't entrust himself. It, it's showing you that, uh, because it says because he knew all people. So, there is a kind of belief that's rather shallow belief. It's just, we, sometimes we say head knowledge or something, you know. There, it's kind of a belief that's not really full commitment. We talked about real genuine belief involves, you know, both uh, an intellectual knowledge, you know, and a commitment, a committing yourself to this, to this one. Um, and so that brings us to another kind of problem, and that's Nicodemus. That is, you can have, just like these people here, you can have religious people, very religious people, who are not really saved people. I mean, uh, and that's the case of Nicodemus. Uh, here's Nicodemus, who 
is a religious man. He's a Pharisee. You know, if, any, if anybody's a believer, it's Nicodemus, right? I mean, we would look at that, you know, it's just like, but it's not necessarily so. And Jesus points that out to him. So this is this famous chapter. Remember John chapter 3, uh, Jesus and Nicodemus and the new birth. And he interviews Nicodemus in verses 1 through 21. Remember, there's a man of the Pharisees. He comes. He comes at night. Uh, and he says, you know, uh, we, we know that we, speaking for the council maybe, we know that no man could perform the miracles. No one could do the miracles you're doing except he comes from God. And Jesus immediately says to him, you know, I, listen, <laughs> you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Uh, you know, and that's kind of startling, you know. That's not what I'm sure Nicodemus expected to hear. What, what, what are you talking about? And, then, and he, you know, and he immediately thinks literally, well, how can you be, enter your mother's womb the second time and be born again? And Jesus says, uh, no, unless you're born of water and the Spirit. And we talked about that. There's some debate about what those terms mean, but I argued that they probably refer to the Holy Spirit. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, water and Spirit are used as symbols of the Spirit. And so Jesus goes on to a discussion about really regeneration. The wind blows where it wants to, and you can't tell where it's coming from. You can't tell where it's going. In other words... The work of regeneration is, is, is unseen by the naked eye and uh, it's God doing it as He pleases. We don't, have any we don't have any absolute control. We operate in this church and everywhere on the basis of what we call professions of faith. <laughs> you know, we, don't, we don't really know exactly who's regenerated. Now the way we tell the most is we look at a person's life and see if there's evidence, if there's fruit, right? But ultimately, we take a person's word. They come forward. Uh, they say, um, I've been saved. We, we talk to them and, and we baptize them and so forth. But if you've been a Christian long enough, <laughs> you've known people who have been made a profession of faith and been baptized and they're no longer around. They, they, apparently, it was not genuine, apparently. Best we can tell. That's what we have to go on. So they're, they can be religious, you know, very religious, and, and yet they don't, uh, they're not born again. So Nick, they, Jesus is getting to the heart of this situation. You know, here's a man who is moral, good works, Jewish, you know, and there's countless people, you know, in our society, in our country, or at least there have been particularly, who are very religious people, but not necessarily born again. And that can happen to any of us. So that's an important chapter. And he goes on to, Jesus goes on to explain this to Nicodemus. Um, and uh, we have those, you know, John 3.16. He's explaining salvation and faith in the Son of God. And, uh, and he makes some startling statements there. You know, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. Whoever believes in, in the Son of God is not condemned, but whoever doesn't believe is condemned already, amazingly, you know. So that's uh, a very interesting section. Um, so um, the latter part of chapter 3 is uh, 
we it's, I call here further testimony of John the Baptist. Uh, and this is where we see that John and Jesus are alive at the same, are, are at baptizing at the same time because we're told in chapter 3 that John is baptizing near this area of uh, Enon and Salem. Uh, and Enon near Salem because there's a lot of water there, obviously, from the, the Jordan River. And people were coming out to be baptized by John even then. So John's still baptizing people. <laughs> um, and uh, so um, uh, John uh, has gives some testimony about himself. He says, you know, that I'm not the Messiah. He continues with that. Uh, I'm sent ahead of him. I'm... Uh, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. I'm just a friend who attends the bridegroom and listens and so forth. He gives that, he tries to explain his role in relation to the Messiah. Um, in John chapter 4, then, we have uh, early belief in Samaria and Galilee. So this is the famous chapter 4. Where Jesus, it says in chapter 4, uh, because Jesus learned that the Pharisees um, um, Jesus, Jesus learns that the Pharisees are taking a lot of interest in him because he is baptizing a lot of people, a lot of followers. Um, he decides to leave Judea because you can see what's coming right now. He's leaving Judea. And he says he's going to Galilee, the text says in John chapter 4, verse 3. He's going, from, he's going to leave uh, Judea and go to Galilee. But on the way, you remember, he stops in Samaria. And remember, Samaria was another, actually a province attached to Judea, really governed by them. But remember, Samaria was really the center of the Samaritans. Remember those people? They are those folks who were sort of half, Jewish, you might say, or you remember when the Jewish, when, when Israel was taken into captivity um, uh, by the Assyrians, they took a lot of the leading families, a lot of people into captivity, and they brought people, Gentiles, back in to live in this area. And these people intermarried, you remember, and created this race we call the Samaritans. When the Jews came back from Jerusalem, they would not uh, mix with the Samaritans because the, mis the Samaritans had a kind of a syncretistic religion. They had picked up, they had truth about Judaism, but they had picked up some other pagan kind of ideas. And so Jesus stops in Samaria with this famous encounter. Remember of the woman at the well? And you've, I'm sure we're all familiar with the story. He asked the woman for water and uh, she says, you know, you're a Jew and you're talking to me. That's, that's very strange because uh, Samaritans don't, Jews don't have anything to do with Samaritans. We, we don't mix and so forth. We're at odds with each other. And uh, she, uh, he asked her to give some water. And, um, and then he says, you know, if you knew the gift of God, and if you, if you knew who it was that was asking for a drink, you could have asked me, and I would give you living water. 
which really means running water, fresh water. Rather than this water out of the well, which could be stale uh, and not as fresh, I would have given you some living water. And, uh, and she says, well, where are you going to get this living water from? You know, you don't have anything to dip in water. You, what are you talking about? And she, he says, you know, if you drink this living water, you'll never be thirsty again. <laughs> and, you know, what, and she's looking around. What, what, what are you talking about? You know, but I'd love to have that. You know, I'd like to get, give me some of that living water that I'll never have to be thirsty again. That would be kind of nice, you know. Um, and Jesus says, the, what I will give him will spring up into eternal life. And she says, you know, give me this water and so forth. And then he gets to her problem. He says, well, listen, come call your husband. <laughs> so, you know, we talked about how that this is how, uh, how you have to deal with people who are unsaved. Before they can be saved, they have to understand they're lost. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's trying to explain to her her sinful condition. You know, she's had all these men and so forth, these relationships, and Jesus is calling her to recognize her situation. And so, uh, you know, he, he, he does that, and uh, then she goes into this, hey, I, I think you're a prophet, man. You, she, he knows all about her and so forth. He must be a prophet, and says, uh, he, she brings up this thing, well, you know, we got this controversy you Jews say we should worship in Jerusalem, and we Samaritans say we should worship uh, in Samaria here. Um, so remember that was part of the division between the Jews. Where is the place of where? Where's the central sanctuary to be had, and so forth? And uh, Jesus, you know, he 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 has some outstanding, some amazing things he says here. Some of the things Jesus says are things that are only be true in the future. Sometimes the book of Acts is called a transitional book. But I always think of the Gospels as transitional because Jesus is saying a lot of things, like he says here, a time is coming when it won't make the, the place of worship won't even make any difference. You won't, we don't care about the place. Well, that's pretty amazing to a Jew. You don't care about Jerusalem. I mean, you don't care about the place of worship. That's what the Old Testament's all about, man place of worship and where you offer sacrifices and all that. And all of a sudden Jesus says, hey, it's, it, it's not going to make any difference about the place. The physical location won't make, you're going to worship God in spirit and truth. So that's really not something that happened in Jesus' lifetime. <laughs> you know, that's going to happen on the day of Pentecost with the establishment of the church and so forth. That the place of Jerusalem will not be important anymore. Now it takes, there is a transition to figure all that out, you know, but it's really not important. You don't have to be in Jerusalem to be right with God. You don't have to come three times a year and offer sacrifices and all that. All that's, all that's gone, the sacrificial system and everything. But that's coming. Uh, and she says, well, I know when the Messiah comes, he's going to explain all this. And he says, I'm the Messiah. <laughs> right out, plain. Now, he doesn't do that in Judea. He, doesn't, he hasn't said that in Judea. He will say it eventually, but he doesn't say it. But he'll say it here because people are not going to rise up and try to make him king. He's not going to get, you know, there's not going to be the political problems and all that. He can say it right here. I'm the Messiah. You're looking at him. 
And uh, so she, you know, leaves her jar. She goes back into the city. She, she talks to the people. They come out, you know, and a number of people are saved, you know, obviously there. And they want him to stay and so forth. And uh, he stays there a couple days, it says. And after two days, he goes on to uh, Galilee, comes up to Galilee, up to Cana. And that's the healing, you know, here of the royal official son in Galilee. So he comes back to Galilee I mean, and back to Cana where the, his, uh, the, the, the uh, um, turned the water into wine. His first, his first really miracle was in Cana of Galilee. And now he comes back and there is the incident with this official whose son is very ill. And uh, um, he's sick, you know, at Capernaum. So he's come here to Cana, but his, sick, his son is at Capernaum. And uh, he says, you know, won't you come down and heal my son? And Jesus says, uh, go, your son will live. And you remember he goes back home. When he gets there, they say, he said, when did your son, uh, when, when did he get better? And he said, and it was right at the time Jesus said, you remember. So uh, another demonstration of Jesus' authority to heal the sick and so forth, uh, an amazing kind of miracle. Now, we come now to John chapter 5, the growth of unbelief. So it starts very early here, opposition to Jesus, the growth of unbelief, and so forth. This is in John chapter 5, this miracle at the pool. Uh, this is the um, pool of, um, let me see here if I can, yeah, um, well this is, um, I was going to say, it says in John chapter 5 verse 1, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the festivals. So we're thinking that this is another Passover here. So this would be the Passover of A.D. 28. You see that era there, the spring. So that's where we're getting our chronology from. So Jesus is, is coming back to Jerusalem again for another Passover. And in conjunction with coming there, we have this miracle of the healing at the man at the pool of Bethesda. So uh, that's to the north there. If you look uh, to the north here uh, of the court of the Gentiles, here's the pools of Bethesda. Um, So, um, um, there's a, a great number of people there who come to this pool because they believe that when the, when the water is troubled some way, they, you know, one legend says an angel comes down and messes with the water, and then if you, the first person who gets in the pool gets healed. So, uh, there is a model there of the pool. You can see the it's kind of a, two pools there is what they think it is, just north of the Temple Mount there. Um, so a great number of disabled people would lay there and wait, hoping for some sort of miracle. And Jesus comes up to this man. Uh, there was a, a, a paralyzed man who had been an invalid for 38 years. So practically all his life, 38 years, he's an invalid. And Jesus comes up and says, do you want to be healed? 
And he says, well, sir, I don't have anybody to help me get in the water when the water stirred. And Jesus says, get up, take your mat, and go on. And he does. So he's healed instantly just like that. Um, but remember, this, this chapter is called The Growth of Unbelief, Growth of Opposition. And this miracle happens on the Sabbath. So immediately, the Jewish leaders uh, you know, ask him, how'd you get healed? And they say, you know, it's the Sabbath. There's, you know, you can't be healed on the Sabbath. That's a violation of the Sabbath law. Now, remember, this is not really a violation. Remember, there's nothing in the Old Testament that says you can't heal somebody on the Sabbath. But this, to the, they had made all these rules, these 39 classes of rules. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. Uh, you know, very pharisaical, very strict, very legalistic uh, on Shabbat. And so... Uh, uh, they find out Jesus is doing this, and they are very upset with Jesus. Uh, they begin to persecute him, the text says. So this is, every time he goes to Jerusalem, there's this persecution. The Jewish leaders are upset with him. I mean, you think they'd be <laughs> happy, <laughs> you know, wonderful. This man got healed. No, <laughs> we're not happy this man got healed. So you can see the unbelief in these people, how wicked they are. It's just truly amazing, isn't it? Uh, that, that's, that's truly amazing. So uh, that leads to a discussion and an explanation about who Jesus is. And he starts revealing there in chapter 5 about his relationship to the Father. And that causes even more controversy. They accuse him of blasphemy. Now, the next thing that happens in John chapter 6 is Jesus is back in Galilee. Now, we're not told how Jesus gets back into Galilee for the feeding of the 5,000. He he's in Jerusalem, and now in John 6, he's back in Galilee for the feeding of the 5,000. Um, this is the uh, only miracle, remember, that's recorded in all the Synoptic Gospels. Quite a, an amazing miracle here. And uh, it says in the text that... Um, um, Jesus crossed over from Capernaum uh, to Bethsaida, uh, the North Shore there, uh, apparently to the area of Bethsaida. And um, a gr great crowd of people followed him. So now these miracles are becoming known and people are beginning to follow him and so forth. They're following him to this uh, eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. That side's more of a Gentile area over here. The, the west side is more of a, a Jewish area. And they're following him because he had healed sick people and so forth. Um, and uh, so we are, you know, this is the time period, his ministry around Galilee at this particular time. Uh, but all these people are there and you know, Jesus says, uh, uh, he, said, he, he said to Philip, Philip, where are we going to get the, the bread to feed these people? All these people are here and all this. And Philip says, you know, well, we just have this one little lad here and he's got uh, five small barley loaves, two fish, you know, it's not enough. And so Jesus has him set down, and then he multiplies. You remember, it does the miracle, this tremendous miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. And that's 5,000 men, it says. 5,000 men, can you imagine that? Uh, what, 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 
how many people were there. And after this miracle, um, they begin to say, well, this is the prophet. This is he. And Jesus, it says, because he knew they were going to try to make him king, he withdrew to a mountain by himself. So Jesus is putting off this acclamation that's coming and, until, until his time is come, until the time has come. Remember it's, that we have that phrase over and over. In connection with that, we have that miraculous walking on the water in chapter 6. Uh, remember that uh, Jesus and his disciples get into a boat at evening and go over to Capernaum. And on the way, you know, uh, they go to Capernaum. On the way, he meets them, you know, uh, there and uh, walks on the water and so forth. This increases their belief, we're told. Um, the next day, um, we're told that there are some boats that blow from the city of Tiberias over to this eastern shore. And these people who have been fed are looking for Jesus. They can't find him. But there's these boats, and they get in these boats, and they go over to Capernaum to look for him, uh, find out where he's at. Um, and uh, so Jesus has this discourse on the bread. So this is this great teaching about, I am the bread of life. So he's used, you know, various symbols, water. He's like, water, if you eat this water, You'll never if you drink this water, you'll never thirst. If you eat this bread, you'll never hunger. And these are all symbols, you know, for accepting Him, trusting Him. And uh, Jesus goes into a long discussion about Himself. Uh, he says in verse 47, Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Well, then uh, we come to John chapter 7. And that's back at the Feast of Tabernacles, so back in Jerusalem. Uh, at this time, Jesus is in Galilee, and because it's the Feast of the Tabernacles, uh, um, he should be going down to the Feast of Tabernacles. You're supposed to remember all males are supposed to go to Jerusalem three times a year. And so... Uh, his brothers say to him, so Jesus has brothers, physical brothers. They say, listen, bro. Excuse me, I shouldn't say that. but <laughs> They say, listen. Well, that's how they feel about him. You know, he's just a brother. Because they say, hey, man, uh, if you want to be a public figure, you need to go down to Jerusalem and show them your stuff. This is the Bill Combs paraphrase, you know. <clears throat> Because they see these miracles he's doing. This is great stuff. But the text says they did not believe in him. They didn't believe in him at this time. But they just see these miracles and say, well, hey, man, get down to Jerusalem. That's where you want to show your stuff and, and, be a, you know, and show them what you got, and, and this will be great. And so Jesus, decide, he, say, he won't go with them immediately, but then he does go. Uh, he says... You know, he tells them the time is not right for me to go. But then after they go, he comes later on. And uh, he goes back to the, this is, uh, uh, this is in the fall here of uh, AD 29. So we're moving right along here. And uh, he goes back to the temple area. This is where he, and he's teaching again. 
uh, and he has a discussion with the Jewish authorities. And uh, so this is this long discussion where they are challenging his authorities, his authority. Uh, he, has, he has people in Jerusalem who some are for him, some are opposed to him. They don't know exactly what to make of him. Uh, is this the Messiah? Is it not the Messiah? Uh, how could he be the Messiah? You know, they have, they have, they have some wrong ideas. Remember that one of their ideas is, well no, one, well, no one will know where the Messiah comes from and we know where he comes from. Well, that's not in <clears throat> the Bible, some strange idea. Uh, but they, they, you know, they don't understand because they say the, the religious leaders are trying to kill this guy. So what is going on here? Uh, they, they, they don't know exactly what to make of him, you know. And, and many people say, well, he's got to be the Messiah. Could, could, could the Messiah do more signs than this and so forth? So the Pharisees send, the Sanhedrin send some, some, some of their troops to arrest Jesus. And uh, they come to arrest Jesus, but they're amazed at his words. And they come back, they don't have Jesus. And they said, why didn't you bring him? And they say, well, no man ever spoke like this. And they said, you're being duped by this guy just like the crowds are. You know, what, what's going on here? Uh, and they say, are you from Galilee too? See, they look very negatively on Galilee. They think of Jesus has come from Galilee. He can't really be who he says he is. He's from Galilee. And so, you know, just people who are not really authentic would come from Galilee. There is this discussion of the woman taken in adultery. We talked about that uh, in 753, so I won't dwell on that at this time. The next section, 8, 12 and following, is a resumption of more discussion. This is where Jesus claims to be the light of the world. I am the light of the world. So he's the bread of life, he's light, he's water, all these symbols. If you have my light, you won't be in darkness. You will have the light of life and so forth. And so, uh, you know, he probably uses that simple be symbol because during this festival, in this court of Israel there, uh, you can see that thing, it says court of Israel, that's sometimes uh, right there. There is um, there's a court of the women there too, you see the court of the women. So any Israelite could come in here, men or women. This one only men could go in here, and of course only priests could go in here, court of the priests. But in this area here, uh, there were these large lamps that were lit that gave off a lot of light at night and so forth. Many people think that's what, why Jesus chose that illustration, the light, I am the light of the world and so forth. So they, the, the, the Pharisees are upset with him. They have combative thought, you know, talk with him and so forth. Jesus claims, you know, a heavenly origin here, beginning in chapter, in, in chapter 8 here. And he actually says, you know, uh, I am the I am of the Old Testament. There's these I am statements. Um, he says, if you, I told you that you would die in your sins if you not believe that I am, and the NIV says he. And he has a number of these I am statements, and these go back to that Exodus 3.14, I am that I am. 
So Jesus identifies himself as this I am, I am of the Old Testament there in chapter 8. He claims that he can set people free from sin. If you hold to my teaching, you'll be free, you'll be my disciples and so forth. Uh, he claims that he has a sinless character uh, himself because they're accusing him of being a sinner and so forth. He claims he has the power to bestow spiritual life and so forth. The last thing that we talked about was chapter 9, and that was the healing of this, uh, uh, of this man born blind. Uh, this took place while, this, this all takes place while Jesus is still at the festival of the tabernacle. Remember, there was this man who was born blind, uh, and the, everybody knows who he is. The disciples see him and they say, Hey, listen, Rabbi, talking to Jesus. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see their view is interesting, isn't it? That, so here is a guy who is born with a deformity. Sin has to be involved. Well, it's true. Sin was involved all the way back there at the fall. All of our deformities and problems are caused by the fall, but not necessarily directly by our own personal sin. <clears throat> Children are born with deformities, and they have no personal sin at all. They're not guilty of any personal sin. It's just the effects of the fall. Unfortunately, the gene, our genes are messed up and we, we have problems, but it's not necessarily directly. But they say, who sinned? This man, like he could sin in the womb, <clears throat> they believe, a baby could sin in the womb, or his parents sin, and so it's passed on. And Jesus says, neither one. Remember, he, this happened to him so that, so that I could come along and heal him, is what he says. He happened so the glory of God could be demonstrated. And uh, so he, he tells, he makes a, a, a mud, mud pack, puts it on this guy's eyes and says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Remember that pool of Siloam down there south of the Temple Mount, all the way at the bottom. Uh, he come down from the Temple area. He takes, he says, go down there. He goes down there, he washes his eyes, he can see. Uh, his neighbors ask about him. The Pharisees come and ask about, you know, how did you get healed? And he says, this man did it, you know. Uh, Jesus did it. And uh, the Pharisees are upset. This is on the Sabbath again. And they go to his parents and say, listen, how did this guy get healed? We, he's been, you know, he's been blind from birth. And they say, we don't know. They're afraid. They're afraid to support Jesus. They're afraid to say anything positive because it says they don't want to be put out of the synagogue. They don't want to be ostracized. And so they, they, don't, they won't say anything. The Pharisees go to the man himself, you remember? They ask him, and he says, you know, all I know is this guy. All I know is I was blind, and now I see. This guy put this stuff on my head, and he told me to go wash, and so forth. And the outcome of that is that they, they ultimately kick this guy out of the synagogue because he kind of talks back to the member uh, and he's, he's, he's upset that they're questioning him and ultimately they don't. So, so they can't allow for any miracle of Jesus, can they? they they're just so, so sinful, so uh, contrary to, to the truth. They just can't allow Jesus to be accepted as the Messiah and so forth. That would spoil their whole system. You know, at one point they say the Romans would come you know, if he's the king, and this would be very upsetting. Well, I'm sorry I kept you so long, but... <laughs>
I was trying to kind of survey the land here. So where does that leave us? That leaves us at John chapter 10. And this is uh, uh, still Jesus is at this particular time period. Uh, and uh, he has this discourse on the good shepherd. So a long discourse in chapter 10. We're almost to chapter 13, which is that final week, you know, the Passion Week there. So let's close here tonight. Sorry to keep you, and I will try to do better next time. <laughs> All right, thanks so much. Sorry about keeping you so long.